A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. And I, I would go as far as to say Tottenham legend, the to trunk. Um, I'm joined by you know, another young man I've been grooming for quite some time, Raji Baines. How you doing, mate? Not too bad, yourself? Yeah, not too bad. I think it was actually you that first called me a Tottenham legend. You said I was up there alongside Bill Nick, didn't you? Uh, that may have been a dream of yours. Um, I can't remember saying those words exactly. I'm, I'm fairly certain it's uh, an accurate quote, that. But, um, yeah, just uh, wanted to say sorry that we didn't do a podcast last week. Raj was on holiday and I was lazy. That's pretty much all there is to say on it. No, I, I have been very, very busy. been very busy. I'm on holiday now and I had to prepare lots of things for holiday and work-wise. So apologies for that, but it, it didn't turn out very well anyway. No one wants to speak to smug Smug Scousers, do they? Have you, uh, have it, speaking of Smug Scousers, have you ever seen that? Because um, I, I, I was kind of toying with the idea of getting them. Not that I don't love you, Mike. You're not listening, I know. But um, Mike, who usually comes on to do the Liverpool pods, thinking about mixing it up a bit this year, getting a few new people on. And I was thinking about getting the uh, that horrible little, like, bespectacled Eminem lookalike that hosts the Redmen TV. Have you ever oh, seen that? Oh, the bloke who called all Ch- Chelsea fans rent boys. Is that yeah, the one? On yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. Do you reckon I, I, we yeah. could? Have, could you have gone through a whole? A whole I don't think I could have stomached him. In all honesty, no. Um, when we actually watch a game on holiday in hotel bar, um, I watched it next to me old man, and um, we had these plastic scousers next to him. None of whom were actually scouts. One of them sounded like he was probably from Manchester, and. Um, it just it would not shut up for the duration of the ninety minutes, and I could see my dad getting more and more irate. Sat next to me, just kind of like his, his fist gripping tightly on the table as the goals went in. This bloke was talking more and more shite as it went on. It was just your, your typical fan who, who talked before he actually thought about what he was saying, and I can't remember any direct quotes, but his his level of analysis was was Jamie Redknapp esque. So I mean, it was we we've probably got fond, fans like that. I mean. Uh, Knowing Tottenham fans on Twitter were hardly, some of them um, are hardly the most articulate bunch, sadly. Um, so I'm sure everyone's got their own set of uh, less than ideal fans. But well, this this was a special breed. It, it definitely is, mate. They, I mean, there is something very special. I, I don't know if anyone else follows um, Rock Meltdown on Twitter. R-A-W-K, um, which stands for Red and White Cop. Uh, it's basically, 
It's this uh, trolling Twitter account that's set up posting lines um, from the Red and White Cop forum. And I, I, I'm quite late to the party on this one, but I've, I've seen it retweeted a few times, and I thought at first it was just some muggy Liverpool fan. But it's only since I've taken the time to actually pay attention to it that I, I've seen what the premise of it is. And some of the stuff that is posted is toe-curling. Um, an example of this that I'm just about to read out now um, <laughs> is, and this is genuine, I just I need to make this clear, that someone has genuinely taken the time to write this and believes in this. This isn't a work of parody, um, although it really should be. Um, essentially, taken from the Red and White Cop Forum, there is an open letter to Mario Balotelli. Have you seen this, Raj, at all? Doing I, think the rounds? I, I think I skim read it. I'm, I'm not entirely sure what it says with a bit. Um, I know it ends with, I think, I think well, in well, a strange just, way, just you've come home. Don't, 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 you know, don't, don't, don't ruin the, the, the crescendo, mate. You <laughs> We're know? coming across extremely bitter. Uh, I know we are, but I, I, I couldn't care less. Like, <laughs> when, when in Rome, mate, when in Rome. Um, <laughs> So I'm just going to read you this, this, this letter just very quickly. This is an open letter to Mario Balotelli. Dear Mario, in this crazy world we live in, someone you've never heard of or will probably never meet feels, as a Liverpool fan, that it's okay to write you on an internet page. Welcome. But here I am, and there you are, somewhere preparing for the Spurs game today. I know my accent's not on point, but whatever. Is this Liverpool fan from Ireland? Wherever he's from, I don't give a fuck. But I'm writing with a a, a real meaning when I say welcome because you are now at a club that is different. At a club where the fans genuinely care about their team. Now, I'm quite sure every fan of any team would say that. But at Liverpool, you're not just a player. You are a Liverpool player. And that means you're part of of our family. You are now one of us, and you are now family. You're welcome around for tea at any time, mate. Welcome to a bond with a set of fans that will not just sing your name, but look out for you. Welcome to a ground where the feeling is different, a sense of history, family, warmth, of time shared, and where the outside world and press are invited in, but never truly a part of it. Welcome to a place, a sense, a culture that sets us apart from the rest of them. I've read about your upbringing. It must be very odd to have your everyday shared with millions, your history available for analysis and comment by strangers, and then to be called crazy by people who haven't a clue. They are a crazy folk. They are the ones who think it's okay to write about other people as if they are professional psychologists, mind readers and judges of character, not you. Well, welcome to a club that sets apart from that world. Liverpool is a club that does it differently, where the emotions are heartfelt, not invented. The flags are fabric and the plastic, (laughs) and not plastic, and the noise definitely sincere. Liverpool's greatest players have all been special and different and gifted and marvellous to watch. And all of them acknowledge that the club has a special place in their hearts. You are brilliant at your job, wonderful to watch. And you are arriving here has made a lot of people excited. 
You have the gift of creating emotion in men's hearts. That's the real meaning of football. And I hope I speak for all Liverpool fans when I say, have the best time of your life here. Have a great career. Score loads of goals for sure. But really, truly, have a great life whilst at our club. Mario, welcome home. Like, what sound sound like a Eastern European Liverpool fan for some of that? <laughs> but just what what you, you you sound suitably just silenced by that, Raj. Well, I'm not entirely sure what goes through people's minds when they write things like that. I mean, um, like, it's do, obviously do, very he actually, heartfelt. Does he actually believe that? Yeah, he will do. Um, I'm not sure it's a bad thing for him to believe that, in all honesty. At least he's not cynical like the rest of us. He, he seems to have this veil of uh, some sort of, I don't know, some... When people are obsessed... <laughs> with... <laughs> it's it's hard to try and put your mindset in a similar place to where that person is because it's, it's very it's, odd. It's probably a mental health issue. Reminded me a tiny bit of the uh, Sol Campbell biography. <laughs> when he's writing in third person. Yeah, it's equally odd. Um, I mean, it's just it's two pieces of literary work that uh, is I'm I'm going to find it hard to ever identify with. Well, let's hope you never have to, mate, because you're Spurs through and through, son. Um, I don't. Can we actually talk about the match now? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So, what? what uh, Overall, what were your impressions of the match, mate, before we sort of boil it down? Well, had we actually done a show last week and had I not been on holiday, um, if I need to first make the point about the QPR match in which I'd have said a similar thing as I did last season where when we spanked someone, it's as much about them being terrible as it was us being good. Yeah. Um, and, of course, I'll caveat that with uh, you can only beat what's put in front of you type of thing. But I think the the groundswell of sort of positivity towards uh, the way in which we were going to perform in the Liverpool game after that sort of match was a tiny bit odd for me. Um, it was a game I was really looking forward to, the Liverpool one, because I did want to see how we'd perform. I didn't think by any means we were going to win it because we were so soon into such a new project and Liverpool were, were so far down the line with theirs and so comfortable in the manner of which they were going to play. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was slightly naive of us to to think that it was going to be anything other than us being second best in that because Liverpool haven't had to play any extra games yet this season. Um, they have played about with their squad quite a bit. But Rodgers has managed to play about with his squad three seasons into a project, so all those players he's bought, he's bought for a reason. So they're gonna they're gonna bed in slightly better. Um, he'd hope with a higher success rate of them doing so than perhaps we would have done when we bought players and then tried to start something with new players. But I mean, what, one thing I just want to quickly pick up on this because I've I've seen some people say that. But uh, what's I mean, for example, what's the difference do you feel between what AVB did when the money was spent last summer and what Rodgers did, because surely AVB was still buying players to fit within a certain philosophy. You know, he'd had he'd had a season at that point um, working with Spurs. And yes, we lost Bale, which was a massive blow. But Liverpool equally had lost... Um, they'd lost Suarez. So, you, 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 you know, I know a lot was made of how much Bale gave to our team and how much we relied upon him. But there was still... 
a system in place, AVB was still playing to his way because people identified enough with the way in which we were playing to blame AVB ultimately for our failings. Um, so I, I, I don't know. To, to me, it still it still feels strange that you know we can just expect Liverpool to be able to sign all these players and for them to just work. Um, I don't think it was the new signings um, entirely that beat us. I think most of their squad that started against us, the the large um, large amount of them were were still there last year. Yeah, um, that's true. I think the difference between what we did and what they did was our entire tactical identity under AVB in that first season when he essentially around Christmas decided to build the team around Gareth Bale was that it was to get the best out of him and Gareth Bale's form was partly to do down to how well he was playing individually and how well he was being managed at the time mm-hmm. um, and to have to rip that up and tear it up and start afresh it was pretty much starting anew the next season it wasn't there was no sort of continuation that summer whereas for Liverpool Suarez was part of a system he wasn't it wasn't a Luis Suarez system he was just a player in which was thriving under a system that they were choosing to play so they've they've essentially been able to go like for like with how they've changed it and not really change the identity of the side whatsoever but just bringing different players around it and I think he will take his time with the new lads I, I think they will struggle this season when it comes to playing Champions League matches and when the uh, squad starts to be thread a li- uh, um, spread a little bit more thinly. Well, and we've also seen when they played Manchester City as well, they they looked like a second-tier team compared to City, even though it's very early days still. Exactly. Um, um, but compared to us, we're still not the finished article by any means. They are, as I say, three years into their project um, and we are five games. So the naive, the naivety we showed in... In, in thinking that we were going to uh, perform better, I, I did think it would, perhaps could have been closer. Um, but the way in which the goals went in were, were hardly. It wasn't. It wasn't a thrashing, a la last season's five no, no, City no. games. It was the scoreline doesn't look great. Um, the par, the performance wasn't the best, but we still made chances. Uh, which we couldn't have said of us of ourselves last season. Uh, the heads didn't drop in the same manner, I don't think, as as last season. And there were some positives that I took away from it. It wasn't a, a complete shambles. Um, and as I say, going into that match with a lower sense of expectation, and I think a lot of fans did, um, just because you know I'm a bit negative. Like I, I came out of the game not as upset as some people were, because I think some people were so g'd up to to thinking that this was going to be a real turning point, a real moment for the club, you know, taking a scalp like Liverpool after what they'd done to us twice last season. Mm. I think people may have got a little bit ahead of themselves, tried running before they were walking. Um, Definitely. I think one one thing that stood out for me as well, um, I mean, one of the similarities between Rodgers and Pochettino styles is that kind of the high intensity, high press. Um, And I, I, I think it just shows that a lot of that team, um, being a lot more settled under Rodgers and having played for him a lot longer, um, just genuinely looked quite a lot fitter than our team as well. Um, Liverpool were a lot quicker to get back and defend in numbers than we were. It always seemed that every time we kind of broke, um, so tried to hit them on the counter, that Liverpool always seemed to have numerous defensive options back where it always seemed as though when Liverpool kind of directly ran at us, we still kind of scrambled a bit. And I think that's something that still stands out for me. And I, I, I potentially 
and probably think that's more down to personnel that when we have people actually going at us and running at members of our team, so I'm thinking about people like Yunus Kabul, who had an awful game, to be honest. Um, and even even Kapu, um, Bentaleb as well, they still seem to look a little bit headless chicken when they have people running at them, like their panic, panic sets in a bit. Um, this is one thing I really like about Dembele for his many faults. I always feel that Dembele has a lot of composure um, and he seemed to show kind of when, when he was brought into the fray um, that he could really retain possession well and win the ball very well and efficiently. Um, and this is this is still one of the lingering doubts I have about Bentaleb in as much as I think he is. He's very young and he is very talented and this kind of thing will come with age. At the moment, it it still just seems that consistently in these big games, he he will just disappear. Um, and I, I didn't think much of his performance against Liverpool, to be honest with you. Um, nor, um, I think nor, nor Capu's really the entire. Bad. Yeah, I, was, I think the entire first band struggled. Uh, Capu and Benalé, but I, I don't think they worked particularly well. And that was largely down to the fact that Liverpool's mid field gave them no time whatsoever to, to try and do what they wanted to um, the point about us not looking as comfortable as Liverpool in the same system is totally correct um, but the thing I would try and take heart from was the fact that, that that headless chickenness was apparent in Liverpool's first season under Rodgers, I think they finished 7th, yeah, yeah. They, they, they had some poor results and their first year was you know, they had some of their fans calling for the manager's head and, they were, you know, there's always impatience within the ranks. But the fact that Liverpool stuck with him and Rodgers was continually uh, adamant that he was happy with the system he was playing in and that the, the, the season, sorry, was more about implementing an ideology and, and securing a tactic and making those players aware of how he wanted to play has ultimately, in the long term, stood them in good stead. Had they not had that first season where... He almost put the pressure off the team by saying, you know, it's not entirely about results. Of course, that's that's a good thing and we should be trying to win as many football matches as we can because it would be absurd not to. This is more about you getting used to the way in which we want to play and then going forward, it'll just be second nature. So when Liverpool were first to the ball and we were we were slightly lethargic, it's because those players in that new system are still, they've still got that the, the thinking time in between doing it. So it's, it's almost the difference between... Have you, have you ever seen when somebody who's just driven a normal car tries to drive like an F1 car and they can't do it because the thinking time's so reduced and they have to do everything, <laughs> they have to do everything at a higher level and everything is a split-second decision and, and it's slightly... You know, you have to build up to it. It's not going to happen overnight and I think patience is the key for us. Um, I think... It, not only from the fans, but from the board. Hopefully, if, if this season is another season where we finish between fifth and seventh, um, but Pochettino manages to implement his tactics and, and try and really be kind of pig-headed ignorant and just stick with it for a year, then I think that'll ultimately, hopefully, in the same manner as it did Liverpool, stand us in good stead. Um, the only thing I'd add to that is, hopefully now, with the nucleus of the squad we've got, the the next couple of transfer windows will only be a matter of one player, two player in and two player out. It's not a a huge overhaul of the squad as we've seen the past two summers. Yeah, if well, we try and keep a level of 
consistency now that should hopefully add to the fact that, that the players we have will perform much better. Yeah, Let's, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the transfer window uh, in more detail in a bit. Um, just to take us back to the Liverpool game, um, just some of the nitty-gritty. Did you, oh, I can't believe I just said nitty-gritty. Fucking hell. Um, did you think it was a penalty? Um... I did. I think I was appalled in the manner in which he went down um, because I'm not entirely sure of the part of the arm that makes your leg collapse. Um, yeah. I'm not entirely sure that was there, but um, I, I don't entirely buy into the argument either that um, you have to show that there's been contact or kind of you know, give compensation for it. Um, I'd quite like to have seen, if possible, uh, a penalty given and a yellow card given to the player for diving. I think that would have been... Uh, uh, quite a good thing to have seen. I think um, I think that might be a precedent to set in the future. There's, um, it was an odd one because it was extremely soft. It was very naive from Eric Dyer um, to even put his hand anywhere near a player in that yeah. Um You can't be going in and doing that, unfortunately. But that's just that's experience, isn't it? Really, it is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Um, I think both fullbacks, in all honesty, were poor, especially for the first goal. Um, Danny Rose went went missing, as he often does. I don't think he had his greatest day ever. Um, Danny Rose and Yamba Tongan, by the way, on the same side of the pitch is a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Because if one doesn't fall asleep, then you, you guarantee the other one will. And if they both do it simultaneously, then you're guaranteed to be a bit fucked. I worry um, a bit about Yamba Tongan, to be honest with you, at the moment. Um, just in that vein, in that he does seem to he does seem prone to these lapses in concentration that I don't I don't really recall um him having in the first season with us is this do you, do you, can you put this down to his melancholy being at spurs i mean you would have thought he would have pushed to move more if he was that unhappy with us still but yeah um i'm not sure i think he needs a, a bit of a kick up the ass and uh, i'm fairly sure that with the fact that we've had a, a high turner of central defender and um Pochettino will be pushing them because they're an integral part of his system. Mm. Uh, I'm sure that'll will get under his, his skin a little bit more and hopefully get him playing. Um, Danny Rose actually went off injured towards the end, so I'm not entirely sure how serious that is, um, but it should see Ben Davies playing more often. And Davies is a little bit more... He'll hang back a little bit more and he'll, he'll, he'll do the basics a lot, a lot better than Danny Rose will. And um, that should hopefully give Vertonghen the freedom if he should so wish to play with a little bit more freedom as he did when he first came to the club. Uh, you know, when he could go forward a little bit more and, and, and such because he'll have that tiny bit of trust. Um, as you said, Kabul was... Kabul wasn't the best. I think we're we're coming to the point in Kabul's career where we're, we're going to have to start picking his matches. Um, I don't think we're at a knee-jerky stage whatsoever as we were with Michael Dawson where he should leave the club because I still think on this day he's got a part to play. But perhaps now he should be knocked down the pecking, pecking order at a place or two and you know pick his game. So against you know, the likes of your QPRs and... And the such, and who did we play first week? West Ham. He'll, he'll perform against them because they're they're fairly rudimentary sides, and what he has to do is essentially do the basics well, which he can do. When we come against the better sides, you you know Chelsea, Liverpool, as we have with quick attackers, with with strong people up front as Balotelli, then he's gonna have to he's gonna have to make way for the likes of Vertonghen and Fazio because um, he's he's just not showing any sort of ability that he had a few seasons ago and 
a couple of that season we finished fourth and didn't make it in the Champions League. He was head and shoulders our um, our player of the season, and since yeah. those injuries, he's he's just his level of performance is degrading, and it's sad to see because it's it doesn't look like it's anywhere near his his own fault because it's it's just purely down to his body not being able to do what he wanted to. But um, instead of I mean, all these it's, negatives... It's, well, no, it's true. Just just to quickly touch on that as well. I mean, quite a few people have been calling um, because, well, we don't know the full extent of Dyer's injury at the moment from England under-21 duty. Um, but if he is out for a bit of time, um, there have been kind of calls for Kabul to be pushed over into right-back to bring Fazio into the centre alongside Vertonghen. But I, I'd, I'd honestly put Carl Norton there over him. I, I, I could not see Eunice Kabul being able to cope with the physicality of playing as a right-back anymore. I think he just la- would lack that that required athleticism. As well, I think it would have... I think it'll put undue pressure on his legs, having to go up and down the flanks. Um, I don't think he's as mobile as he once was. No, I mean, he's, he's probably he, half as mobile as he once yeah, was. Yeah, no. I mean, he's still got a, a quick turn of pace across the ground and the odd sprint, but, I mean, for a long period of time, I don't think he'll be able to keep it up. I mean, if you think back to the old days of him setting up the goal against City when Crouch got, I don't think we're going to see him no. that high up the pitch anymore with any any level of sort of quality or regularity. It's, uh, a, I was it's a real s- shame for the lad, though, as well. Gotta- it, is com- it is completely because he was... It was when he came back from Portsmouth, he was a completely changed defender. Yeah. Um, he, as when he was younger, he used to rush possession, go for Hollywood passes and whatnot, and have a truly, truly awful haircut. Um, <laughs> and, and he, what was it? he said it was like the dried super noodles on top of yeah. his head. And he uh, he sorted all that out when he went to Portsmouth, and, and Harry <laughs> bought him back, <laughs> haircut included. And, um, I'm just looking in, at a picture of it now. Really, is appalling. Yeah, it's terrible. And uh, he came back and he was a, a fantastic player. And uh, as I say, he was mainstay of our side. But I, I can't see him staying there for much longer. Hopefully, it's it's not the case. Because uh, I, I think it'll be a disservice to him as much as it is a detriment to the side. But um, I was going to say to you, did you have any positives from the match at all rather than just going on about the, the poor element? Raheem Sterling will be a great player for England one day. <laughs> Um, that's quite positive Tottenham oriented yeah I mean Hugo was uh, his his commanding self um, although his his distribution again was a bit dodgy sorry I've turned this into a negative again um, but his distribution didn't didn't look all that um, I'm, I, I honestly mate, I'm, actually, I'm, I'm struggling to think of any positives really Ericsson was a bit anonymous again Lamella worked hard I, I can say that that's probably a positive but in really have much in the way of end product um i liked um when you're on ericsson and lamella i actually liked the way in which the front four operated with adibayor uh chadley ericsson and lamella i think they actually all tried to do as much as they could with what little they had um they all managed to carve out opportunities for themselves i mean adibayor should have probably done better with his lob and chadley should have definitely done better with his his half volley um but I think that the positives I saw from them is Ericsson and Lamella seem to have some sort of understanding now where they'll, if one drifts centrally, the other one will go wider and they do it almost as a second nature now, which is a few games into the season, so good to see that these young, intelligent players are starting to starting to really get a feel for one another's game and 
I think people often look at Chadley as the weak link, but I think he's actually quite a, a functional footballer. He, he does a lot. He gets in the positions, as we saw against QPR. And if he'd, uh, if he'd have scored that goal against Liverpool, then perhaps you know the match might have been slightly different. But he's he's not. He's by any means he's not a terrible player. Um, Adibayor again, not not a lot for him to go on up there on his own. But the fact that he will have a glaring misses though as well. Yeah, the fact well, that's always the case with Adibayo. He's Sometimes when he's on form and he's really on song, then he will score from the first opportunity he gets. But occasionally it'll take him two or three to get his eye in before he'll put it away. And that's always been a part of his game since when when he first came into the country with, with Arsenal. Um, but I think um, I think I enjoyed watching him drop back and, and others find the space ahead of him. Uh, Lamelo started doing those those runs into the box late on. I don't think he was ever found with a decent enough pass to actually do any damage. But the fact that they're trying is better. I think what let them down the most was the players behind them because that system is entirely dependent, um, much the same as AVB's one, strangely enough, of there being a player in the second band of midfield who can recycle possession and and set players away, much in the ink of of ilk. Sorry, not ink. Much in the ilk of uh, of Luka Modric, who sadly <laughs> it looks window after window that we we failed to replace him. But it's not as easy a task as it may sound because he is an exceptional footballer and uh, one we were. Uh, Extremely lucky to have when we did because I don't think there's there's many floating about now who are who are anywhere close to the same quality or can provide a side with the same sort of skill. Um, also, um, what did you make of uh, Andros Townsend when he came on? I was dire. He was awful. Um, Just because I, I I don't want to say anything negative against him. Oh yeah, you, you you got you got called out by the. Uh... The Hot Spurs podcast, hello lads, I know you you, you might, you, well, you always say you listen, so if you are listening, hello. Um, but yeah, you, you got in a bit of trouble for that one, didn't you? Raj? I did, yeah, uh, but um, no, he, he, he was truly awful. He uh, was, he was appalling. Um, I, it's probably harsh to, you know, judge him coming on to coming onto the field of play when we're already 2-0 down, so on and so forth, but yeah, he was directly responsible for the third goal, so... That was his first touch of the ball as well. He kind of tried to cry turn into th- the man. I think what what was more alarming about that as well, um, you know, players lose possession, that happens, but it was his his actual startling lack of pace in getting back to get the ball. I'd always had Townsend Downers for his many flaws um, as a as a really quick player, but he he looked he looked woefully off the pace um, there. I I'm mean, not sure, I'm not sure that's been him slow as much as Liverpool. Player being lightning quick in all fairness. Is is Moreno? Is he is he that fast? I no, don't really know. Fairly sure he's him, fairly sure he's pretty rapid. I mean, the gap did widen between the two of them, but Townsend was on his heels for a short while. Um, but Moreno is he's not a slow lad, so I, I don't. I think that's slightly harsh. I think the mistake came in losing the ball rather than not being able to track it back successfully. Uh, again, for that one, it was very poor defending inside the box. Nobody really closed him down. Everyone seemed to anticipate a ball across the box and he, the, the finish was superb. There's, there's not really... When you give a player that much room and he puts it in the bottom corner, there's not not many complaints you can could, have other than... Could, why didn't could Hugo have done a little better? What, with the shot? Yeah. 
I'm not entirely sure he could have done because he was having to cover his near post. Um, if he goes across any more than he had done and got beat at his near post, that would have been criminal. Um, so I think that his goalkeeping in that instance was okay. Yeah. There was the there was the, the the crazy moment where he he did his average Hugo and came out of the box far too far and far too quickly and didn't clear it anywhere near enough. And Balotelli had a an empty goal to shoot at and managed to shank it wide. And there's obviously if. Liverpool has still had their racist striker up front. Uh, he would have quite happily put that away, I should imagine. I think uh, one of the... It's not so much a positive, but a positive spin, at least, to put on yeah, such a... What is a damning result, really? Um, considering that this was supposed to be like a, a marker of where we stand at the moment compared to a top-four side, um, is that it, it, it gets expectation in check... A bit more. Um, oh yeah, reality check is quite fantastic because, as I say, people were getting a tiny bit ahead of themselves after that QPR game, and to to kind of have this uh, have this shown right in front of us that uh, we may not be competing quite as highly as some people expected straight away is possibly a good thing. Of course, it will um, sort out who's who's seen and who's not because you will have people complaining about. Not only the manager, but the players and quite possibly the new players if they don't settle in straight away. Um, I think it's frustrating that the fact that probably the past three seasons we've we've had to say that we're starting again. This is a new start. We're going to have to be patient. New system, new manager, blah, blah. This is going to take time. But hopefully, should everything click into place, as we do say every time, um, this is a season where, again, we'll be in transition for want of a better phrase and it will be it will be a work in progress for for quite some time one last point i did want to raise is that i i i cannot stand brendan rogers anymore his face his smirk his smugness his just weirdness i just i I can't stand the black and it's not bitterness it's not jealousy it's not this it's not that it's i genuinely dislike the man as a man I yeah, I don't like him. I, I'd agree with that. I think um, he's a very good coach. He's, he's done a, a very good job with some of his players. Some of the things he says about his players, he, I think if I were part of his playing staff, would piss me off quite a bit. Because he talks about not only improving his players as as footballers, but as men. And I'd quite happily backhand him and say, you're not my dad, fuck <laughs> off. Um, it's a bit weird, isn't it, all that? He's, it's like, he's got a very odd turn of phrase. And of course, there is the... David Brent comparison to which genuinely are 100 miles away. Did you hear what he said about um, Raheem Sterling's run? Raheem Sterling had that little run where he skinned about four players and then just tamely shot it into Hugo's arms. He said it was a, a run comparable to Ricky Villa and a finish comparable to the work of Ricky Gervais, which was kind of ironic considering mm. it was uh, David Brenton that sang it. But... um. Yeah, um, he did that. He did that weird thing in the summer as well, which was in the in the press that um, he left his wife, who not trying to be harsh or anything. She's she's not the most uh, amazing looking woman in the world, but you know he built a family with this woman and seemed to leave her overnight for like a, a younger model. He did that strange midlife crisis thing of you know picking up a blonde in her twenties type of thing. Um, uh, which you... always makes me kind of judge the character of a man who's willing to do that. Yeah, with... I know what you mean. Well, our own, well, our own, but you know, Gary Lineker's responsible. That's a perfect example. Uh, <laughs> they all kind of yeah 
I don't know. There's a certain type of man, isn't there, in the in the in the public eye? That well, not even in the public eye. Just a certain type of man. But there we go. I don't care. He's a cunt. Um, <laughs> uh, we're gonna have a little break now. Um, we'll be back in just a couple of moments. What? Yes. Uh, in this in this uh, midway point, um, I wanted to welcome to the show uh, Miss Katrina Law of the Tottenham Hotspur. Football Club Supporters Trust, but it's not. It's Ooh. not Football Club's not in there as well, is it, Cat? It's just THST. No, yeah. Tottenham yeah. Hotspur Supporters Trust. That's the one. Um, how How are you doing? Thank you for joining us. I suppose that's probably a good 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 starting point, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. There you go. We'll you, get there. I'm a consummate I'm professional, bad, thank Cat. You. Yeah, I'm not too bad at all, Jack. Thank you. Thanks for having mm. me on. So I, uh, I, yeah, I just wanted to touch on very briefly because I've seen uh, I've seen the the statement you put out on the on the website the other day and uh yeah. the fact I do actually look at Twitter quite a lot, um as I'm sure everyone's aware. Why lie? Yeah. I I, <laughs> I just wanted to sort of highlight some of the kind of the pelters, I believe it was, that you guys were getting over over the course of the, the deadline day yeah. and why that's kind of a, a, a redundant thing to do. Yeah, I mean first. I think it, it was kind of predictable on my own personal Twitter account at about six o'clock I'd looked forward to manning the um, trust account um, after 11 o'clock on Monday evening. I think Sunday's result didn't help, to be honest. Most people went away from White Hart Lane feeling mm. pretty disappointed uh, with that result and with the performance. So then with the window closing, with perhaps no big-name signing coming in, and um, people just got frustrated. And we're an easy target. And also, I try to make the Trust Twitter account interactive. So the point is that we, we, you know, we, do, we do talk back to people, whereas the Spurs official account are probably quite savvy and don't bother to respond. Um, but no, so I think it was just a case of fans venting their frustrations um, over what you know they perceived, how they perceived the transfer window to have gone, um, and we're a sitting target, really. Plus, also, we are there as a vehicle to take fans' opinions back to the club. So that's valid. We would never not listen to fans' opinions. Yeah. Um, but, you know, some people just kind of cross the line and don't really get what the remit of a trust is, I think. I think it's just, it's, it's I, I completely get what you're saying. And, it, you know, people are frustrated and they're allowed to be frustrated. Yeah. You know, people pay a lot of money to go and watch Tottenham. And, you know, you are the supporters' trust, so people want to put their questions to you. But I think, like, my particular umbrage, just from the outside, is that there's a, there's a, there's a constructive way to get dialogue going. Um yes. Especially when, you know, you guys aren't paid to do what you're doing. You know, you're, 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 I don't know how many people realise this or not, but, you know, you are doing this alongside an actual job as well. Yeah, we are. Um, We're a board of seven. We're all completely voluntary. Nobody takes any remuneration or gets anything in return for doing this. And I think, you know, first and foremost, we're all fans. There are four or five season ticket holders and the rest are members. Um, you know, we regularly attend games and we live and breathe Tottenham, just like the fans who were frustrated do as well. So we kind of know where they're coming from. Um, just as a, just to kind of, uh, for, for anyone listening that doesn't really um, know how the kind of the, the trust works with the club, mm-hmm. um, h- how is it that, so say if, if fans do have particular questions for you, um, how is it then put to the club? Do you have like weekly meetings with them monthly or...? To be honest, we have structured meetings that we call board-to-board meetings. So that's our board of seven plus the executive board at Tottenham Hotspur. So that's Daniel Levy and Donna Cullen, et cetera, et cetera. We sit down and we meet a minimum of three times a year. But on top of that, there is daily dialogue with the club. 
Um, I speak with our supporter liaison officer, a gentleman called Jonathan Waite, um, 10 times a day, um, with Ian Murphy, he looks after ticketing at least, you know, three, four times a week. So there's, there's a constant dialogue there with the people that, that we need to be speaking with to get the information. So last night, for example, we met up with a head of ticketing and membership. It, it's not, you know, an official meeting, but we'll, we'll both take time out on an evening to hook up for a couple of hours and just see how everything's going, mm. that kind of thing. So. Yeah, it's 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 a good it's a good dynamic and a good relationship at the moment. So, I mean, for any kind of um, fans that do have any questions, is is the best thing just to to tweet the trust or is uh, tweet yeah, go or through you the can website? email us. Um, the email address is info at thstofficial.com. Um, but yeah, by all means, tweet us. Um, that's absolutely fine. We always try and reply back to everybody within you know twelve hours or so. Bearing in mind that. I'm the main person who mans that account and I've got a job as well. So <laughs> I can't always get back immediately. But I would say that probably the, the biggest percentage of questions we get around ticketing, that tends to be the biggest area. StubHub. So, um, StubHub. Yeah. yeah. Evil. Yeah, no, exactly. But people who've either been overcharged booking fees or the tickets haven't turned up or they've, lo- they've left their tickets in their sock drawer and they're 200 miles away in a away game, that kind of thing, that's mm. kind of where we can help out. Okay, um, I, I think one of the one of the main things I picked up um, from you know from the kind of whatever it was the the bad sentiment um, yeah. on the deadline day was uh, a, a perceived lack of transparency with yeah. the club. Um, now, I mean, I, I know obviously this is you know something you probably can't go into in, in too much detail, um, but I mean how. How transparent just are the club with the trust as well in terms of will, will there be times when you're asking them stuff and they will just simply say, this is something we, we're not prepared to discuss with you? or Yeah, I mean, from time to time that does happen. Uh, we have a mature relationship with them. They realise that we're a critical friend. So whilst, you know, we... <laughs> We, we we are independent, you know, we, we do support the club as well. So yeah. uh, we kind of got to walk that tightrope. I think the last time we met with um, Daniel and Donna was just, it was actually the day that Tim Sherwood was sacked. So we had a really transparent discussion yeah. around yeah, around the qualities he was looking for in a new manager who wasn't named at that point. I don't even think anybody had been approached at that point. And it's been interesting to see that, you know, Maurizio Pochettino has ticked all those boxes. So quite clearly, he is the person they were looking for for that job. Um, I think, you know, there are some issues that are commercially sensitive and there are some times that they literally can't talk to us. But most of the time, if you go in and you ask them a sensible question, they will give you a sensible answer. So, you know, if we wanted to ask them about this transfer window, I'm sure they'd turn around and say they, they always back their football management. You know, um, Maurizio named the players that he wanted or the positions he wanted to cover in. They needed to reduce the size of their squad, uh, which was too large. And that this season is about the board backing him and seeing how his style of play develops. Um, there certainly wasn't, a, you know, an outcry from him to sign a striker. So, you know, they'll be, they'll be fairly honest about these things, especially, you know, stuff like capital projects and the new stadium. We're, we're fairly in the loop on all that. Do you know if mm. our transfer strategy is actually directly affected by the fact that we are trying to bankroll the, the stadium projects? No, as far as I'm aware, just as with the training centre, the funding for the new stadium is going to be ring-fenced and it shouldn't impact on our ability to, you know, input into the transfer market at all. Okay, well, that's, thanks very much. Uh, do you know anything about the? Do you know anything about the stadium as well at all? Just, uh, well, I'm sure you know a lot about the stadium, but yeah, you know, any any further developments on on that one? As far as I'm aware, 
the CPO, there was an appeal period of around about six weeks after the original decision was passed, and that should run out in mid-September. So we're waiting to see if Archway Steel lodge an actual appeal. Um, I'm, not, I'm not aware if they have or if they haven't already. Um, if they don't, then I presume it's full steam ahead because the club will own all the land they need. But right now, until that appeal period's over, then it's kind of treading water again. Um, we don't know about a ground share. We haven't been told. Um, uh, but, you know, hopefully, my reason, my personal reason for getting involved in the trust was to help with fan migration and to help with all those issues of mm. moving 22,000 season ticket holders, uh, as it states currently, and then installing potentially another 20, 25 season ticket holders into a massive stadium. So, you know, to make sure that was done properly. Because, you know, we need to make sure that when, when we're moved from White Hart Lane, it, it's done with supporters that, you know, interests at heart. So that's kind of why I'm involved. So I'll be pushing for maximum involvement from the trust and other fan groups into that when that time comes. And not forgetting the biscuits as well, of course. No, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> that's, that's the main reason you're part of the trust. Yeah, I mean, obviously. Is it Costa who do the giant bourbons? I think it is, yeah, yeah. Marvellous and stuff. The giant Costa I'll make sure that they, well. they get a little franchise in the stadium. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I do just want to, you know, I do have to champion the work of the trust as well. You know, you've, you've fought rigorously against, you know, the the unfair policing of the Y words. Um, yeah. You brought, the, you got the drum back to White Hart Lane. I know you've been campaigning against safe stand, well, campaigning for safe standing. I shouldn't say yeah. campaigning against, and just getting involved with issues to do with, you know, the atmosphere. I know you've been heavily involved with the fighting cock yeah. lads and the eighteen eighty two movement, so on and so yeah. forth. So there's a lot of work that you guys do that, you know probably is is underappreciated definitely underappreciated so you know next time you, you take to twitter to to have a dig at the the trust just you know don't basically just have a chat <laughs> if you're unhappy about something they're probably unhappy about it too because they're fans so well yeah. said jack thank you that's it but uh well thanks very much for joining us cat as well really and welcome. uh yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll make this a more regular thing, mate, if you fancy it. Do you, Sounds do you like good. It? Yeah? All, right, All over that. <laughs> nice one, Kat. Enjoy the biscuits as well, mate. I will do. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye. So welcome back. Um, you may or may not have just heard there from Kat at the Supporters Trust. Um, if not, we'll, we'll have her on at some point to talk about the summer well yeah the summer transfer window which has now as sky sports say slammed shut slammed did you feel the shock waves raj um no i did make my mum watch it at 11 um which she weren't too pleased about because i had sky sports news on and off all day just because i find the whole affair quite amusing it's like watching a a live soap opera with like the strange people that Sky have on these caricatures of human beings having to uh, like do a pantomime for the day when they get like the totalizer out. They've got that Damesh Seth. Oh, he's an embarrassment, that bloke. He looks like a cross between Ricky and Spooky from the Fighting Cock. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, if they had a love child, that would be the result. Um, I thought I thought, I, I thought a love child between those two might be Omit Jalali, but. <laughs> to be and, fair, it looks like a thin version of him does uh, Damesh Chef. Uh, did you see that one little bit when he said the total for uh, for this year's whatever it is transfer totalizer is X million pounds? So last year, talk to the hand because this year ain't listening. And no, was, I didn't. No, that's that's amazing. Amazing. There's a vine of it. It's so. Just cringeworthy. It's it's a my favourite one is um Brian Swanson 
who fucking shouts every word. And he's got the strangest face I've ever seen on TV. He's just he's, he's like a barrel-chested bloke who's got a really strange face. He reminds me of the one that's in a wheelchair on Family Guy. <laughs> um, that's what he looks like. Um, but yeah, Deadland Day is odd. Um, I, I enjoy watching it. When, I like it when it's on September 1st, though. Um, I was gutted it didn't close at midnight because I usually use it as like a countdown to my birthday. But um, oh, that's, I closed that's, it an hour early. That's quite cute. I do, because, you know, Big Ben strikes and whatnot, and you get to watch it, and then everyone says happy birthday to you and that. Big Ben strikes and Little Raj gets a bash. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. Um, Not so little anymore, I'm I'm an older man. I meant, like, Little Raj gets a bash. Yeah, I know, I was trying to move away from that. I'm not going to move away from from your Hampton, I'm not going to do it. Um, Ever. Bear that in mind. Until, well, maybe until you... You are legal now, though, so I can't really say that. You're quite old now, aren't you, as well? You always make the old jokes at me, but you're a bit old now as well. 22, yeah. Yeah, you're a bit... You're, downhill from here. You're a bit over the hill as well now, mate. I'm going to be start honest. getting me coughing measurements done. <laughs> Just use a piano box, mate. That'll do. That'll do the job. Um, right. Why, why have you gone all quiet? You, We're going to talk about... No, I was reading my notes. We're going to talk about the summer window. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the summer Unlike window. you, I actually fucking prepare for this thing. So. Uh, mate, I, I don't need to prepare. I'm Tottenham legend. Um, but, uh, yeah, so we've... Uh, let's, let's just talk more first. I'm, I want The big hitters. We've lost Mr. Michael Dawson. Dearly departed Michael Dawson. Um, dearly departed. Dearly departed. Hey. Um, he's, I've, I've come over all like, I don't know, like a, a, a New York Jew. Um, am I allowed to say that? Yeah, I'm allowed to say that, aren't I? That's not really particularly anti-Semitic. It's a well-known um, stereotype, isn't it? Exactly. Um, we keep digressing. But yeah, we, we've lost Michael Dawson. Um, I, I understand the whole argument. It's the right time to go, yada, yada, yada. But really, I, I, I still maintain, personally, I still maintain. You can see from the outpouring uh, from the players, so on and so forth, that... The guy was obviously a great presence to have around, um, at least in terms of from the player's perspective, whether or not Pochettino echoes that sentiment, maybe not. Um, But, you know, just because the lad's not going to be starting every Premier League game, I don't understand this incessant need to, we must sell him because he's not world-class. So, I don't know, people's just like, their short-termism and their tunnel vision in that, what a player's contribution to a team and a squad is only measured by that 90, 60, 45 minutes, however long they are on that football pitch. Why, why can people fail to see that, you know, the lad, as in any workplace, yeah, you can call it a cheerleader or whatever, but he, he may well be a positive influence to have around the place. Um, I mean, for me personally, I, I, I feel that we are pretty much devoid of any characters or identity um, nowadays. That's one of my big criticisms of the squad, and I understand that will come in time. You know, there's always a transitory period between administrations, um, and we will start to see some of our, you know, heroes be named. Eric Dyer, albeit, you know, very, very... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Very early days, he's already kind of worked his way into Tottenham folklore. So there's going to be some sort of a link there until maybe he gives away a few more penalties and everyone starts abusing him. Um, but... This is something I kind of want to touch on, and I've, I've, I've mentioned Dawson first because I was thinking about this with, with Ledley King, for example. Um, and I, I put out a tweet not long ago saying, you know, oh, oh, do you feel that although no one player is bigger than the club, we're ever going to see kind of another player like Ledley, um, like another true modern day legend? And a lot of people felt that they wouldn't, or at least if if we do. It will be a very, very long time. And I'm not talking your kind of Robbie Keane, Michael Dawson, Gareth Bale legend. I'm, I'm talking about in the true... And I know there's a big debate as to what legend actually means, but you know, if we're to talk like Blanche Flower, Nicholson kind of level, you know, Ledley King is on... I think people can quite comfortably say Ledley King is on that level. But with football the way it is now, with the way money kind of drives the game, with the constant scrutiny that it's under and every single player is under, do you think it's as much about that side of things, like like appealing to that side of things, as it is about actually embodying the club and giving something to the fans and showing you're all for the club? Because... For me, Michael Dawson, yeah, he, he had a fraction of the ability that Ledley King did, but I would say he had just as much love and as much passion for the club as Ledley King did. It came out in a very different way, but it seems as though he isn't as revered, and you know, rightly so, because he didn't have as much ability as Ledley King. But would Ledley King have gotten to this position that he was in if he was kind of going through the motions under the same scrutiny that a player is now. And I, I, I use Eric Dyer as that example um, because, you know, as I say, as much as people are kind of very much rating the lad now, is he even going to be afforded the time to make these mistakes? You know, is it going to be a case of he's made this mistake against Liverpool, putting his arm against someone? Yeah, OK, it's not the worst thing he could ever do. And his overall game has looked very very good at the moment but if he keeps making a few little mistakes that will iron out with age will he be given the time not only by the people in charge of the club but also by the fans who have this wanton need to finish in the top four to always have the best team to do this to do that essentially do you feel Raj that expectation is essentially ruining the game as much as something like Sky Sports I guess it's a byproduct of this kind of Sky Sports money-driven generation? Um, football and football fans by nature are extremely fickle. Um, so in terms of Ledley King's status and uh, where he sits within the hearts of fans, I think there's a direct correlation between the fact that he was 
Tottenham from the youth team and an extremely good player. Um, and that is why he, he forged out the career he did at the club. Um, had he been less of a player, um, perhaps he would not be looked back on to the same level he had. There would, you know, the 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 echo of, of tragedy and, and whatnot in his career and the the you know the, the the thought of what could have been with him is what'll always kind of ring true with fans and the fact that he never left it will always be huge for us. Um I actually I wrote a piece when he first retired for the fighting cock about him and I dedicated a paragraph to the fact that had he not been injured we'd never have known whether he would have been able to go to another club, go and play for the likes of Manchester United, Real Madrid, AC Milan, those teams that were massive at the time that he was in his prime because he was injured so nobody wanted to really take a chance on him. He was just as good as the likes of Jonathan Woodgate who got those big moves. So had he been a player to to not being injured, he could have left and it's not like even if he wanted to stay at the club at that point and where we were as a, as a side, we would have happily sold him because there was a good season or two where Ledley King was far too good to be a club that were as bad as Tottenham were at the time in which he was playing for us. Um, in terms of the, the new lads, Dyer and, and whatnot, uh, I think most play, people have... have have kind of reached the stage with players where they realise that they're they're assets rather than rather than people who are going to really belong to the club. It's only uh, one or two a season, perhaps, that really seem to make a, a concerted effort to to have some sort of connection with the club. And they seem to be getting weaselled out of the club more and more often as now. As we've seen, Lewis Holtby and Sandro as well. Exactly. Uh, um, uh, well. I don't think that's a negative. I mean, at a very young age, my dad said to me that, you know, these players are only here for their career. That Most of them don't really care the shirt that's on their back as long as they're getting played and as long as they think they're the best place. And I never, I've never at any stage had a player for Tottenham on the back of my shirt. Um, I think I, I've, I've always intended to buy a Ledley King shirt, but I've never got round to it. Um, that's the I've only never, player I've ever had on my back yeah, of my shirt. I've ne- that and showing them when I was a kid. But. I've never had, and even as a kid, I never had any inclination to get a, a player on the back of my shirt because I was, I was always well aware that they they kind of came and went with with the seasons really, and they were, they're just assets to a business, um, which shows you what a miserable child I was. But um, I don't think we're going to see anyone at the same level as Lady King for some time. Um, it's sad to see players like Dawson go. Um, I disagree with you for that, that he had a place left to play at the club. I think unless we were going to let him out to pasture and put him in the coaching staff or making him ambassador, um, he had he had no business being on the pitch for us anymore. I don't feel um, his Not level had degraded. League Cup? Not really. He was, he was becoming a, a, a running um, liability and whenever he seemed to play for us. His, his confidence was shot. 
I think I actually was quite pleased for him to get the move he wanted because he's got a large contract. He's got a, a decent club in Hull who have bought well, That's true. who are who are doing okay. So he's not like we've sent him to a proper shit house, even though Hull is a shit hole. Apparently, he um, was appalling on his debut for them as well. He did make a mistake, but the thing is that those fans there are going to see him as a big player, and he's going to be able to play a few years there and play hopefully well in a in a team that will be more welcoming to him than at Tottenham where the fact that we did like him so much would have perhaps been tainted by watching him regress even further. So I think part, uh, part in company at the right time is, is, is quite a good thing. I mean, I think the best player that's in recent seasons managed to leave the club at the perfect opportunity was Rafael van der Baart. I think had he stayed for another season or two, and his level of performance regressed in the manner it has done while he's at Hamburg, and obviously the revelations about his personal life and whatnot happened, then I I don't think he would perhaps be looked at the same way. I mean, people miss him now, but the, I don't think he would have ever worked in the system with um, with AVB or or even Sherwood after him, and we would never have seen Gareth Bale become the player he was if Van der Vaart was there because. Van der Vaart would have wanted the side building around him rather than anyone else. So leaving a club at the right time changes the perception of who you are and, and how you are. So it's all about, you know, kind of leaving at the right place and doing that's a good thing. I mean, we're going to talk about the lads that have left this window, but just on, on this point of, of you know, Michael Dawson, I think... Um, I think his his race was run at the club, and he's he's had a fantastic time here. Um, but um, I'm sad to see him go, and it hit me hard. But at the same time, I, I fully understand the reasons why, and I, I fully support them too. I suppose it's much the much the same that uh, could be said about Sandro's departure. Really, um, I mean, I'm personally gutted to see Sandro go. Um, I think like. If you'd have said to me like 18, 20 months ago, just before his big injury, that in a couple of years' time we'd be selling him for six million pounds to QPR, I would have. I think it's actually ten. I think it's. I think it went up to ten. Was it? I thought it was like six with add-ons, so potentially ten. I think it started at ten rather than six with add-ons. Either way, you know, even at, he was he was comfortably one of our very best players. He had the. I'm, on, I'm of, only saying. Ten million pounds to to try and make myself feel a little yeah. bit better about the deal because that's still fucking cheap. Yeah, um, I mean, like, I was, he, he had Real, Barca, AC, the likes of that sniffing around him at one point, and he was an absolute. I mean, there, there were always doubts about his kind of distribution and his concentration at times, but still, the lad was well on his way to being a superstar. Um, and it just seems like a real, real shame to see him bow out in the way that he has done. Um, I think what you know, you, you cannot take away from the fact that his injury was so severe that it was career-threatening, and he has seriously struggled to maintain fitness and form since coming back from that injury. Um, however, if he somehow manages to, QPR have a very, very, very good footballer on their hands. I think I think even half a Sandro is a fantastic signing for a club like QPR who are wanting to stay in the Premier League. I think he's a level above whatever else they have in, the, have in their midfield. Even, Joe, Joey Barton, you know. Exactly, even broken. I think he's a level above what they have. Um, I think the fee for him is what slightly, not slightly, really set me off. I wasn't 
at all pleased when I heard that it was initially going to be £6 million and then even 10 because with £6 million, we managed to get more for Jake Livermore. Which Stephen when, Coker. Yeah, exactly. When you compare the players, they're, they're nowhere near the same calibre as Sandra's ever nah. been. I think Sandra, when he was at his very fittest and when he was at the highest point in his form, at the beginning of the probably the 2012-13 season when he, he established a really good partnership with Dembele, even though it's only for 10-15 games at the most, he was giving Gareth Bale as close a run for his money for player of the year as possible yeah. until he injured himself. And that's, that's not hyperbole whatsoever. Gareth Bale was one of the best attacking players in Europe, but Sandro was every bit as important to that side as he was. And his loss that season was as big a contribution to us not finishing fourth as anything else. Because had he carried on in the way he was and had him and Dembele established that partnership even more and carried on in the same vein as they had, then we've no idea how that side would have performed because they, it seemed to everything seemed to fit into place that season. You're right. The, the severity of the injury is is was shocking, really, and I think that this transfer has been done with his fitness in mind. Um, I'm not entirely sure whether or not the the doctors and whatnot or the club had been consulted and and given their opinion as to how much of a recovery he's been able to make. I don't think we've ever seen him play uh, as well as he had done in that season a couple of years ago since his injury, just purely because it's been it's been very fragmented for him. He's picked up the odd knock, as players often do when they've been away from the pitch for so long, and he's not looked as quick on his feet, and he's not been there, but his, his effort levels have always been up there when he's been on the pitch, and he's always tried. And because he is quite young, there's always the chance that he will have a... you know. A, there will be a second wind with him and he will be fantastic. So I've, when I've been kind of tweeting about it and kind of trying to rationalise the decision in my head, I can see the thinking behind it um, as almost like a, a second guess as to what they were. But I, at the same time, I hope there's some sort of deal in place, almost similar with Stephen Corker, as there was discussed that perhaps there's a first refusal for us if they're to go down or if he's to be fantastic again, then we've got an option to buy or whatnot. Uh, it's something that Barcelona often do with their players if they let them go. They'll always insert a thing into their contract to say that if we want him back, then we can do. Um, a similar sort of thing they did with uh, Fabregas and whatnot. They, they always manage to, to try and cover themselves if they're losing one of their players. Um, it was a real kick in the teeth to see QPR social media straight away jump onto his personality and get him doing the the big fearful poses in the shirt and whatnot. And it looked extremely odd to see him posing at another oh, it club. It was vile, wasn't it? It was um, vile. And it, it would be like seeing a photo of like I don't know your mum with one of her boyfriends before she met your dad, kind of thing. You know, it was just wrong. It was horrible. Yeah, it was it was unsettling. Um, I mean, if if you kind of if you kind of compare what it felt like to see Sandro in another team's kit and what it's like to see someone like Sigurdsson, everyone's quite happy for Sigurdsson. He's getting yeah, on with his career. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, well done. You know, we we knew you had it in you, get on type of thing. Whereas there's a quite a little bit of a, a general feeling of mourning over the fact that we'd lost Sandro. Whereas, you know. There wasn't for any other players. I don't even think Holtby got that level of uh, level of um, of attention just purely because I think we're we're well aware that he's going to be um, he's going to be uh, going to be going. Yeah. Um, well, D 
dearly departed Sandro. But well, let's, you know, I, there's been a few people say, oh, you know, I I don't want to see him get back to his former status because that means QPR will have a great player. But I wouldn't, I, I, I don't want to wish QPR well, but I, I like Sandro more than I hate them. So I hope he, I hope the lad can turn it around, to be honest. Um, you know, likelihood if he does, then he'll probably be getting sold to a, a team abroad for quite a bit of money. PSG, um, someone like that. Well, we'll we'll see where he does. But if he, I do wish him all the best. Um, I mean, he, he's the one with Dawson that sticks out of the outs. I mean, the other players we've lost. Uh, Gomez, uh, we released. Tata. <laughs> he's gone to Watford. I think he's actually doing quite well there. Uh, Livermore, how we got eight million for him, I'll never know. But he's gone to Hull. Uh, Sigurdsson was, I believe. From, from what I've heard, was a straight swap deal for Ben Davy, which I think was fantastic business. If that's the case, he's uh, he's he's just to focus on Sigurdsson a bit. He's uh, he seems to be everyone's uh, fantasy football player of choice, um, and rightly so. He's he's kind of got that uh, Clint Dempsey thing in that now he's the main man at Swansea. Um, or at least he's kind of like the focal point where a lot of their play goes through. He's absolutely flourishing because. They're, they're playing to his strengths as opposed to just kind of sticking him on the left in a team that has never really suited him. And it seems to be that was much the same as what happened with Dempsey, really, at Spurs, in that I've kind of been quick to sort of lay into Dempsey a bit and stuff, mainly just to annoy Americans during the World Cup. But um, Dempsey's not a bad footballer. He just wasn't really... Well, he was competing against Gareth Bale for his favoured position. Um, and so wasn't ever really going to do anything special for us, was he? Um, I think the case with Sigurdsson and, and Dempsey to a certain extent is that they flourish under slightly more direct attacks, whereas Tottenham are slightly more fanciful around the area. Um, we have we had a, a, a rich vein of number 10s as well while he was at the club. He was never going to start in the centre over the likes of Bale or Eriksson. Um, so it never really fell for him, unfortunately. And he did do, He scored a number of important goals for us out from the left and he probably became a better player for, for having to have some sort of um, tactical ad- adapti- adaptability added to his game um, that he maybe wouldn't have done previously as a, a specialised number 10. But he's doing really well in a system that's that's kind of built around making him flourish. Um, we lost Falcao. Was, was Falcao, is it? Falcao, yeah. He's he gone. Uh, he's gone. He was actually really good last season at Rayo Vallecano. Um, Rio were actually my favourite team to watch in Europe last season. They're fucking hilarious to watch. They don't defend whatsoever and just go forward. There, uh, if we hadn't have got Pochettino, a half jokingly linked us with their coach uh, Paco Hemeth, just because he's uh, he's he's batshit crazy. Um, Kula Bali's gone. Uh, the new Drogba is is no more. He's he, he gone to Serie B, I think, which shows yeah. you Bari. what level he's at. I think it's Bari, isn't it? Because that's kind of yeah. like the region we got him from in the first place. I think his family live around there. I seem to recall Windy saying at some point he's got some tie to that to that region, essentially. Um, yeah, right. yeah, well, he's gone. Um... <laughs> <laughs> what, what are people going to... Mate, honestly, every time I'm fucking on Twitter or anything, I always see someone say, hey, hey Windy, how's Koulibaly coming along? Is he on course to still be like our main striker? Could he well, fit? we made a strangely like big fuss about it when we when he joined, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, we did. But yeah, he, he, he's turned out to be a bit shit. Uh, talking about a bit shit, Jonathan Abika's gone. 
I think he's about 48 now, isn't he? He's been at the club that long. <laughs> it was between him and, uh, him and uh, what is it, um, Harry Kane, really, wasn't it, for the starting berth at one point? Jesus Christ. Jonathan Abeka is one of the worst footballers I've ever seen. Um, apparently, he's a nice lad, which makes up for it, but he's fucking awful. Uh, the fact that he's like 24 now and he's still playing in the 21 should give you some sort of indication of how terrible he is. I think he's gone to League One for about 400 grand, which is about... 400 grand too much for a player of his ability. Um, I remember he came on against Leeds and had a really easy header to make it to all, which he completely fucked up, and I've never forgiven him since. So I'm glad to see the back of him just sponging off our wages. Um, Ezekiel Fryers has gone to Crystal Palace. About five million. million how we got three million pounds for him, I'll never know. I think we've recouped our our fee for him as well. He, a player who doesn't look like a human being when he moves. <laughs> he, he genuinely he's, he's got an odd form about him when he actually tries to manoeuvre his body, which just was deeply unsettling to watch. Honestly, I know people always said that, like, give the lad some time, give us. I didn't want to be knee jerking this night because I think you can kind of. Some players will surprise you. That's you know you can't take away from that, but there are sometimes you can see with young players when they're lacking things that you think he can you know maybe make that up in time. Much like with Bentaleb, I don't I'm not the biggest advocate of Bentaleb, but at the same time I can see there's a lot of ability there, and if he plays his cards right, can be a very fine footballer. Ezekiel Fryers for me is just an astonishingly bad footballer. I I, I don't even understand how. We, let alone Man United, scouted him and thought he was good. Every time I saw him, he just looked woefully inept. He looked awful. But maybe I'm being harsh. No, he was a bit weird. Do you remember that game when we played Monaco in a preseason friendly and him and Jake Livermore started a centre-back against Falcao? (laughs) (laughs) We lost about 6-1, didn't we? It was one of the strangest things I've ever seen in my life. Um... Also gone is Holtby on loan with an option to buy to Hamburg um, in a deal reminiscent of who will be joining there, Van der Vaart, last-minute kind of deal on deadline day to Hamburg. Um, he was actually supposed to be replacing Van der Vaart for a little while, but I think Rafa Van der Vaart stayed. They were going to try and sell him off to Turkey, I think. Uh, I can't remember which Absalon spar it was, but it was something ahead of spar. Wasn't there any talk of him going to QPR as well or something? There was a rumour. I think Harry linked himself with him just because he can't help himself up and in his mouth. But um, I don't think that was ever really going to materialise after a certain point. Uh, I think he's he probably wanted too much money knowing, knowing Rafa van der Vaart. I think he's on quite a, a cushy wage at Hamburg that he's probably not wanting to, to give up at his age. Um, I think probably our best loanee of the um, of the window is uh, Tom Carroll going to Swansea, and he's actually been playing there, which is nice to see, because uh, that's a, a team that is of a similar ilk uh, ideologically to what we'll be playing. Uh, playing time regularly, hopefully, in the Premier League is what he'll have, which is what we've been asking for for two or three seasons now for him, and we'll finally get to see whether or not he... He has the ability, he has the ability to to perform at this level in a regular sort of capacity, because he's sort of since the emergence of Bentaleb, his um his prominence within uh, Tottenham players, not Tottenham players, Tottenham fans' mind, sorry, has kind of dropped off a little bit. So I think that's a, a really impressive 
uh, loan move for him. Um, I think Gary Monk's hopefully a coach that will coach him in the right manner. And Swansea's definitely a team that that play in a fashion that will will uh, ape what we will try and do with him. So I'll be um, I'll be interested to see how he performs there, and hopefully he gets plenty of minutes under his belt. Yeah, I think that's what we've wanted to see from Tom Carroll for quite some time. Is a is a Premier League move. I mean, he's had those kind of those loan spells at QPR where there was a few question marks raised over his ability in the Championship. But for a player of his kind of stature and his style, the Championship's probably not the best moniker of where he's at at the moment. Um, so hopefully, a team like Swansea that does nurture this idea of playing good football, um, we should get a better idea of where where. Tom's at, but I can't help but feel that he's probably never going to have a Tottenham career. Really, I, I, I know again that sounds that sounds pretty harsh, but I think if he if he does do particularly well at Swansea, it might just be a case that you know he stays there. Seems to me like Bentaleb's kind of got on the nod ahead of him, which again seems strange. Um, having seen like a few of the under twenty one games and seeing Bentaleb and Carroll on the same pitch at the same time. Carroll always looked head and shoulders above anyone else on the pitch. I mean, I, I can't say I was paying particular attention to Bentaleb at the time because I frankly didn't even know who the lad was. Um, but Tom Carroll always looked like a, a very, very, very good footballer. Um, but I think even like old, old Windy's uh, sort of raised a few concerns about his development and stuff as of late. So perhaps he just hasn't kicked on in the desired way. Um, but I still think, personally, I still think we could really do have a player like him that can pick a lock. As you were saying, um, we haven't ever replaced Modric and we still don't really have... I, I mean, a lot of people, and I've, I've been guilty saying it myself, but a lot of people have seemed to kind of look at Christian Eriksen, but he's really, he's a very, very different footballer to what Luka Modric is, isn't he? Yeah, completely. Um, he's, a, he's a band above where Modric would play. Um, a lot more direct and there's there's not as much nuance to his, his game as there is to Modric's. Um, as I say, there's there's not many players in, in world football that, that do the job to the level that, that Modric does. Um, Xavi Alonso. Xavi. Xabi. Yeah, Xabi. Um, yeah. Xabi Alonso <laughs> went in at Bayern Munich. And the centre-back, didn't he? They, they, yeah, they played him as uh, in a libero at the back. It was amazing. Yeah. It was a proper throwback tactic. It was uh, the most hipstest thing that, that Guardiola's ever done. It was fantastic. Mate, when you're fucking in charge of Bayern Munich in that joke of a league, you can do whatever the fuck you want, really, can't you? Well, it's, it's fairly competitive. It's just the fact that Bayern Munich have kind of, through success, they've built so much money that they're just... They're they like my Man United were in our league a few years ago. It's it's going to take somebody building themselves up to to kind of knock them down. I think you know yeah, Dortmund. They they just fire. dismantle Dortmund every time because they obviously see them as that threat. So they just dismantle them every time, which must be as much as we get annoyed about finishing behind Arsenal, um, which is of course very 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 annoying. You can imagine being a Dortmund fan. You would just think, what is the fucking point of this? What is the point of this? Every time we build this good team, nurture talent, we just get it picked apart by the team we're competing against. don't know. As, a, as an outsider, it's a bit annoying. But... At least Arsenal aren't buying our players. No, um, they're not. That... It's not like we're selling Gareth Bale to them, is it? So it's, it's, not, <laughs> it's, it's not the worst-case scenario as yet. 
I think if um, can you oh God, can you imagine if that had have happened at the time? I, I honestly think there would have been a riot. People would have lynched Daniel Levy for that. Do you remember the Tottenham riots? Yeah, it would have been worse than I that. Do. It, I, I honestly think there would have been a very, very, very bad reaction to that. Oh yeah, if we'd have sold a player of that good to them, then we'd have fucking gone mental. Anyway, less of talking about worst possible thing ever. Um, yeah, um, I wanted to talk about some of the players coming in. Um, mm-hmm. Benjamin Benjamin Strambouli, first of all, um, the lion as he is known. So we've got rid of a beast and we've got a lion in. Um, Kind of uncomfortable Millwall connotations, stroke tenuous Chelsea, tenuous, tenuous Chelsea connotations. Two lions, but you know, fuck it, calls himself the lion. Um, now I spoke to a colleague of mine who's based in France, um, French lad. He's a big big fan of football, French league in particular, uh, being that he is from France. <laughs> and I was kind of asking him about Benjamin the lion. Um, and what he what he feels about him, and his kind of synopsis of him is is very encouraging, in that obviously not in the much of the way he plays or positionally, but he's kind of regarded in a similar light to how, for example, Leighton Baines was a few years ago, whereby everyone seemed to see that he performed consistently, performed very very well, but for whatever reason just seem to be consistently overlooked. Like another like Asmir Begovic in, in goal for Stoke. Um, one of these kind of players that when the news got announced that Tottenham were buying him, apparently everyone in France was just like, oh shit, yeah, of course someone was like, you know, of course that was going to happen. It wasn't a surprise. It wasn't a case of like, you know, I think a lot of Spurs fans greeted it as like, who the hell's this lad? And well, most football fans I did, for example, I was like, I don't know, never even heard of the bloke. Um, but over there, it was seen as like a very natural move and one that was probably arguably should have happened a lot sooner for him, a move to the Premier League or at least to a bigger side. Um, I think PSG had sniffed around him for a little bit before, but then went with Kabai. Um But what has been said is that he should have the tools and the ability to hit that kind of Morgan Schneiderlin sort of level that is probably you know that's going to be very hopeful and that is again if he plays his cards right so on and so forth but the promise is there and we are supposed to have signed a very 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 good footballer so that's something to be happy about I guess he's do you, got do you know much about him other than the fact that he's got horrible teeth and a really bad like facial hair pattern does he have horrible uh, I think he, like I said the other day I think he looks like a young Keanu Reeves no I, he's not doing it for me in the uh, in the looking sticks whatsoever he's no Nasser Chadley his, his um, teeth aren't that bad I'm looking at a picture now is, in that interview I saw on Spurs TV I turned that up to what 2600k and had a proper good look at him and he weren't the best looking lad I've ever seen. He's got a very nice little French accent and he he quite obviously kind of had a bit of a held um, Hugo Lloris in high regard because uh, I think he was saying in that interview he, he once got called up to the French 21s and was called up to um, train with the uh, seniors and had um, spent a bit of time with Hugo there which is uh, nice to see and another reason why Hugo should probably be captain with the amount of um, Franco players that we've we've got in the side. Um, 
but what was I about to say? I've I've seen him play once or twice, not extensively. He's never been a player that I've really kept an eye on whatsoever. Um, he, you know, he's hopefully he he can be coached into being the sort of first band midfielder that we need. Um, I imagine that he will likely um, in a few weeks start. I think he'll probably be brought in initially in the Europa League. Um, would be my inclination. It depends how much time that Pochettino really gets with him on the the training field, and then he'll he'll slowly make his way up into the first, you know, the 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 big team. It depends entirely how how he performs. But we've got we've still got an awful lot of players to to play in that first band. We've got a few to choose from. Um, so it's it's going to be interesting to see how we um, how we how we perform with with getting rid of Sandra and bringing in players like Stambouli and having likes of Capu and Bentleb and Dembele there ready to play as well um, and Polino as well who we seem to forget about um, is what will happen is um, that they should hopefully be bought and arranged in a manner that will be systematic of, of Pochettino's tactics so I mean, we, we, do you see it being him or Capu, or do you see it being him and Capu? I mean, do you see him being like a Bentaleb replacement? Because it doesn't look like he's that kind of midfield destroyer. Although he's a, a, a DM, it looks like he's a bit more of one of those kind of like cultured... Diff- well, I guess like Nabil Bentaleb is, that kind of holding midfielder that can pick a pass and can offer some kind of limited attacking threat as well. A bit well, higher up. Yeah, I think... He's he's not a defensive midfielder in the ilk of Sandra, where he will he will go full bodied into tackles. I think he's slightly more intelligent in the he'll he'll try and bake up play in a similar similar vein to what Michael Carrick used to do. He'll, he'll yeah, interse- yeah. intercept, uh, he'll hustle and harry, and he'll press, uh, which is exactly what um, Pochettino wanted him to do. If the entire team presses in a fashion they'll want, then there'll be no real need for a defensive midfielder. He can double up as a um, centre back as well. Bovo, we were told that about Capone. Look how that works out. Kapu did it a couple of times fairly well last season. He did um, it a couple of times fairly appallingly as well, though. But, uh, you know, it's not his... was, that, that was when he came back fat and injured, though. So It's not his favourite position there, so he can give him a pass. No. Uh, who else did we buy? We bought Fazio. Yeah. Fazio, blood. What? Um, who yeah. famed for punching Diego Costa in his fat stomach. Yeah. I've uh, just called Diego Costa fat. That's... It's <laughs> not really the case. No, he's just a bit. He's a um, monster, that bloke. But um, yeah, I think he'll be. I think he's a fairly good sign, and I think um, we bought him because Monsieur Shishishishio was was having far too many troubles with his third party ownership, and I think the fee was creeping up because everyone who's got fingers in that pie wanted a little bit more than, Ooh, they, were, than they were getting. Yeah, um, he's, a, he's a big old big old boy, isn't he? As well, Fazio. Yeah, he's a he's a he's he's a big geezer and he's about um, seven foot three, isn't he? I think <laughs> a yeah. little bit shorter than that. I think yeah. but, um, it'll be good to see. I think he's um, I think he's a good signing. Um, it slightly annoys me when people see that we've gone for one player and it's not worked out. You know, in the in the way that it's not worked out for Schneidel and it's not worked out for Mushashiyu, um, because these aren't. You know, it's it's not easy to do these deals, and the fact that a couple have broken through doesn't mean that the two players we've bought instead are going to be dog shit. It just means that we've we've had to go with alternative options. That the fact that they've ended up being cheaper isn't, you know, necessarily a bad thing. It just means we've hopefully spent our money a little bit more intelligently. Yeah. Um, 
I don't think it's a case of, as some people have, have slightly um, inclined, that it's a case of uh, Pochettino's gone in and gone, oh, we can buy centre-back for 20 million and centre-midfielder for 20 million um, and they'll really help me out. And Levy's gone, fuck off, I'll buy you a centre-back for 5 million and a centre-midfielder for, for 6 million or something like that. I don't think it's a case of him refusing whatsoever. I think they have done absolutely everything within their ability to try and do the transfers that we've we've wanted but if they just can't happen for for reasons beyond our control then there's not much you can really do about it it's, it just doesn't happen it's similar to putting an offer in in a house isn't it if you're going to get gazumped or the people start suddenly asking for more money then you're going to go and look at a different house i think the problem for me i, I don't want to dive into this too much because it's such a divisive topic and it's one that quite frankly I, I I don't feel that I really know enough about to to comment on fully um, I, I understand people's reservations and people's frustrations about kind of the, the money that we are charged as fans to go and watch Tottenham um, compared to the outlay on the pitch I mean there is often the excuse made that well we're saving up for a stadium, yada, 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 yada. Um, and again, this this is the point at which I don't know where to separate fact from fiction in that is it a valid point that we are being conservative with our spending because we are saving for the stadium or is this something that is being taken care of elsewhere? Um, I think the problem of ticketing in football, the amount that is charged, is a football-wide problem. However, at the same time, there is a clear disparity um, between Tottenham and the teams below us. So when you do look at kind of clubs who are on our level, um, we are being charged a lot more as fans than the likes of Everton, Newcastle, Villa. Um, again, We've they got well Newcastle smaller stadium than not not than not than Villa and Everton. We're talking Villa Park's fifty fifty odd thousand in it. I thought I thought it was like more like forty two. That's still. A good eight more thousand than we get in White Hart Lane. Uh, we got thirty-eight thousand five hundred. Thirty-six thousand. No, it's thirty-eight of, of a couple of years ago. It's thirty-six, isn't it? Can so Google it now. Yeah, Villa Park's forty-two. Um, yeah, what are you right? White Hart Lane is thirty-six point two. Um, that's nothing. I mean, fucking Ellen Road's bigger than that, and they're in the Championship. Yeah, that's true. I thought we'd gone up to thirty-eight. I honestly did think we had, but. Yeah, Villa Park's 42, so yeah, I suppose I can see it more so on that side, but even still, you know, we, we get charged a hell of a lot. It's London prices as well, though, isn't it? I mean, it's, what is it, a supply and demand. People are always going to pay those prices, and we're having to overcompensate for the fact that we've got a, a tiny stadium in relation to what we really should have. Um, I think it... I'm hopefully not being naive in, in hoping that should when we get a bigger stadium be able to fit more people in there that the ticket prices should hopefully come down a little bit um, because hopefully if they drop to small amount but then the seat the, you know the seat amount is increased then obviously the gate receipt will increase as well um, hopefully they're not going to keep the price at the same and just try and <laughs> rinse everyone for as much as they can but you know you never really know as I say that could be me being slightly fanciful with the way in which I'm I'm trying to look at the new stadium. Uh, of course, we don't know the ins and outs of the club's finances, as you alluded to, so we've no idea of knowing 
how much of the money's been held back for what exactly. Um, the thing that I always point to with um, when it comes down to Tottenham's finances and the fact that we don't go out and and spend as much money as, as everyone else does um, in terms of net spend and whatnot is the fact that we're owned by a sports investment company and they have made an investment in Tottenham Hotspur and the, their ultimate goal is not to see Tottenham Hotspur win trophies, it's to see them make an investment on Tottenham Hotspur and in the end of the day when they come to sell it, make a profit. Um, this is Daniel Levy's life work. So when he's come in, his his job is to take Tottenham from what we were when he bought us, which was a fairly unattractive prospect in a, a quite run-down little stadium with uh, an, you know, a, a team that was, wasn't performing to perhaps what it could have done. And he's got to turn that into an attractive prospect for a, a buyer. So he's, he's built a new training ground, which is part of his package deal. He's going to build a stadium, which is part of his package deal. He's going to build a competitive squad for the least amount of money he can. And he's going to try and put into it as little as he can to get out the most and maximise his profits. And, you know, this, football isn't a business in which you can you can often profit from, but Enoch have done it in such a way that they're probably going to be one of the few people in this industry that will, from the time they've come into the club to the time they've gone out, will end up looking at their uh, balance sheet and being quite pleased with the way in which they've, they've handled the business. Um, of course, for that means it will... It will limit the success we can have on the field, but it will. It means that we're never going to do a lead or anything while they're in charge. We're never going to be fi- going to financial disrepair. So it swings and roundabouts, really. I've, I've, I'm not too concerned with the way in which we're, we're run, really. There are obviously the odd bugbears of how much it costs and the odd thing we do, like StubHub and whatnot, which are, are far from welcomed. But um, in the large part, I'm not really a dissenting voice to to uh, to our owners, really. Yeah, I, there's there's times when it's irritated me. For example, our mind the gap season when we really had that base and we were really pushing on. Um, when we added Louis Sahar and I think that was more to do with management than. Um... Than Levy potentially, I I but the, 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 you know there should have been money there. Like it was, I, I remember at the time quite clearly that Aguero was identified as our number. We offered, we offered money. We there's a um, there's plenty of articles online. We offered thirty odd million for him. Um, yeah, we, we, we again we just fell short of that. Just yeah, you know, I, I think the, that's because the deal fell out over a couple of mil. Ultimately, is my understanding of it, and it's just it's those kind of situations that I understand people being pissed off at him about. Matinho, for example, we lose Modric. Matinho falters ultimately because of again we're talking a couple of mil here and there, you know. And it's it, I think it's that kind of penny pinching that does rile people, and I can understand that. I really can because it it, it pisses me off at these times, but. Where we are at the moment, I, I I don't understand the frustration purely because I don't see us as having a settled team, a settled philosophy yet. Um, Pochettino's just come in. He's working with the players. He's establishing who's a good fit. He's obviously already seen in some that they're not going to be a great fit or that they're not pulling in the right direction, whatever, and he's let them go. But I don't see why at the moment when, you know, we haven't even seen the best of Christian Eriksen yet. Christian Eriksen, who is considered one of our best players, alongside the likes of Hugo Lloris, 
it's still not really fully adapted to the Premier League and still to our team and to Pochettino's system. So I'd rather we see like players like Ericsson. Lamella is another one again, who's even further away from being adapted than Christian Eriksen is. I'd rather see them truly worked on, truly functioning within not just the league, not just this country, but within the system that's just being established now before we then start adding, you know, then we can start thinking about spending however many millions on these players. But at the moment, what's the point of, for example, we went out and bought Danny Welbeck, 16, 18 million, however much it was that Arsenal paid for him, and just lump him into the team now. Like, it just, it doesn't make sense to me, this this want to spend for the sake of spending. Like, what what we're going to achieve this season will 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 not be bolstered in my opinion really by spending you know an extra 10 15 million here or there like the only way really spurs are going to compete this season and I'm talking compete for like top 4 places is if we had an arab billionaire that comes in and spunks 300 million on us and completely buys us the best kind of players in every single position but we're just, we need to face the reality that we are not that team now. We're not a team that even has a base. But as soon as we have that, and as soon as we have players like Ericsson, like Lamella, like, you know, be it Adebayo or Soldado functioning in a much more cohesive fashion, then we can start to say, right, this is how our team operates. This is where we are clearly lacking players this is where we could do with this the luxury of having a player that can operate in this position or go there for example Ben Davies you know that's not a luxury signing we needed a left back we needed more left back options so we bought another left back that's a no-brainer but at the moment there's no real point you know there's there's no real strikers that we could go out and buy for 30 40 million they're instantly going to improve the team over what we have in a player like Adebayor you know to, to improve on a player like Adebayor you are going to have to spend 20, 30 million pounds. I mean, I'm, I'm not even convinced, for example, had we spent the 30 million, whatever it was, 28 million that Everton spent on Lukaku, you're going to have a nailed on definite improvement on Adebayor. Yeah, he's younger, you're going to have more years from him. All right, you, you can't take that away from him. But in terms of when he's playing at his best on pitch, you know, again, different types of players, but I'm just talking about someone to play up front for us you're looking at that type of money to even buy someone that's as good as or, you know, arguably on a good day or whatever other de facto reason is better than Adebayor. And I think that's kind of the perspective that we need to have now as a team in that we we don't have the money to, to, to just outlay like that in bulk to make a huge improvement. Even if we did spend like £18 million on Welbeck, we're probably still not going to finish in the top... Well, we're definitely not going to finish in the top four with Welbeck in our side. That's, I probably shouldn't say definitely not, but, you know, most likely not. Um, but it's, you know, just like, you get that everyone's frustrated. And there's a lot of fans that pay a hell of a lot more money than I do. So I'm not going to tell anyone else how to support the team and what they should be pissed off about and what they shouldn't be pissed off about. That's not what I'm trying to do. My whole point is that me personally, I, I go to as many games as I can. I go to quite a few home games. Um, don't go to as many away games as I I would like to. Um, I'm not a season ticket holder, but at the same time, you know, in my opinion, for whatever that's worth to you, the listener, um, I'm just trying not to get that pissed off about it because ultimately it doesn't 
doesn't really get you anywhere. If you're that, like, if I feel that if you are that pissed off because you spend X amount on the game, and yeah, and that's that's credit to you. Yeah, you love Tottenham, and you're you're showing that support that we need. Uh, you know, on as a supporter vocally, and also just financially, you're supporting the club. But if it if it really makes you that angry, then you've got to vote with your feet. That's the only, that's the only plausible option I see. Is that you stop then giving money to Enik. You have to make that conscious decision to say, any can't spending money in the way I want them to, or at least the way I want them to. Um, and I don't feel that they're doing their part as the owners of the club that I'm supporting. Then until they're gone, then I, I honestly think a lot more people need to consider the, the, you know, what it is to maybe say, right, for the next year, I'm not going to give any money to Tottenham and I'm just going to watch them on TV and whatever. It doesn't make you less of a supporter in my view, but other people would beg to differ with that. Um, I don't know. We've probably gone on a bit today, mate. It's quite a long episode, but we haven't been on the air for, on the air. What a cunt. We haven't been <laughs> recording for a couple of weeks, so sorry if it has dragged on a bit. Um, was there anything you wanted to, to add on at all, mate? No. Well, there we go. Um, what's going up on Spurs Statman this week? Uh, Steve should send me something if he hasn't already. I haven't looked. <laughs> um, but it should send me something uh, soon um, that's about it really um, I'll try and write something if I can be bothered about the transfer window but I'm still on holiday mode really at the minute um, so I'm not really sure whether or not I'll get around to doing that <laughs> it shows my commitment on it we're, we're, yeah. we're going through a bit of a site rebuild at the minute uh, me and Jack so I think that's, I'll be spending a few hours doing Jack that Jack Pettyford the the Spurs stat man JP not me yeah yeah not you. you you don't do anything that's of all use to us apart from this um, I don't, I don't so, really. but what so. I do do what I do do is uh, youtube dot com slash Tetrunk TV I pull out these little video things have a look see what you think I haven't watched the latest one yet I'll watch it now yeah it's all right it's all right um, I'm quite happy with it I'm very happy with it fuck you am I allowed to write one for you yet if you want to, I, I consider, I consider all, all script submissions. I might just pick and choose part. I might be like one of those ruthless Hollywood producers and just say, I like the characterization of this, this, uh, this player. I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that, but not your script. You see, that's the, that's the world I, I live in, mate. Ruthless, cutthroat. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna write one about Sandra and Holtby leaving as some sort of. Rom com that's gone wrong. Okay, okay. Well, I'll look forward to that. With all right, yeah. Um. Anyway, yeah. You can follow us on Twitter at rtrssm. Um. Go to spursstatman dot com for lots of Tottenham flavored editorial work. Um. From from the whole team, from likes of Steve, Rob Brown, Raji Baines, um, Jack. Does Jack still write for us? You have a Jack. Wouldn't. When he couldn't be bothered, yeah. Fucking Spursy pod cunt. Um, oh, that's Ben. You've got him mixed up. Oh, fuck, I have. Ben. That's embarrassing for you, isn't it? That is. Sorry, Ben. You're just not that important to me. You are, Ben. <laughs> you. you are. I'm only joking, but you defected, so, you know, that's what happens, mate. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. Sorry, not sorry, it's so long. Bye-bye.
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.